beautiful song. Love it. I'm a terrible pastor, but she's a great pastor's wife, so that's why I'm still around, you know? That's, I love her singing and appreciate her, and so I appreciate this church. It's just wonderful to be at Southwest Baptist Church. Kind of surreal for me, having been a student all those years ago, and, uh, and I, I love, obviously love Heartland Baptist Bible College as a training institution, but, uh, but, but God's choicest instrument is the local church. And so it was right here at Southwest Baptist Church that God just gave me a passion for preaching the Word of God through the fire we heard in this pulpit every single Sunday from Brother Sam Davison and from a, a, a passion for congregational singing from Brother Floyd Sheck Snyder leading congregational singing every bit as passionately as Brother Sam preached. I mean, he was, he was into it and I loved that and I loved learning about the the, the ministries and retirement home ministries with Brother Austin and eighth grade boys Sunday school class with Brother Steve Mabry and, and uh, the adoptive parents program with Dean and Chrissy Weiniger. And so I won't hold that one against you, you know. That's, that's uh, a lesson in patience with Brother Steve and Brother Dean right there, that's for sure. But I appreciate that. Anytime there's a troubled uh, member that is in the church I pastor now, then I always say, at least it's not Dean, you know? <laughs> I'm at least happy about one thing. At least it's not Dean. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 8? And I was preaching in Stillwater last Sunday night. I mean, and, uh, it was last Friday night. Pastor Gaddis was up in Stillwater preaching for the Heart and Emphasis night. And he said, turn to Matthew chapter 8. And then I was in chapel yesterday. And Brother Donnie Wilson, my so-called friend, says, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Man, two miniature heart attacks in the span of a week. And uh, Brother Gaddis was later in the chapter. And uh, Brother, Brother Donnie was just, he was just being a, a churlish and evil man, you know. And he was just trying to trick me. He was in a different passage. Preached a wonderful sermon in chapel yesterday. So thankful for that. And just really appreciate uh, this emphasis that we're allowed to come in and emphasize California church planting and church revitalization as well. And so thankful for this opportunity to be at Southwest tonight. It's just really, really an honor. And so I'm so thankful. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, He's an outsider, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, well, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I, I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom 
shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we're opening your holy word, your holy scriptures, that we take this as um, authoritative for us, that, that we're setting our own ideas aside and trying to think like Jesus Christ thinks. And, and it's through him that we can approach you now in prayer. And it's only through him that we'll ever make a dent in this world and have any kind of effectiveness or power. And so that's what we're asking for tonight and asking for your help and your guidance as I preach the word and as each one in here seeks to be a, a willing hearer and doer of the word, I, I pray that we can, we can think like Christ tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, this group of five of us pastors are at Heartland this week and going from class to class. They're giving us about 10 minutes each and we're talking about what God is doing in the churches. And Brother William Newton gets up and he talks yesterday about passing out flyers on the street and he comes across a, a drag queen dressed in full drag, you know, and eventually leads him to the Lord. And, and uh, we're going, you know, we're not really helping the stereotypes here. They're, they're going to think that's all we have in California. And, uh, and so that, and then Brother Donnie tells a similar story. And here's story after story of these, these maybe you think, stereotypical Californians. And Brother James Kim is a pastor that's planning a church in Irvine, California. There's a student here that's working closely with him as well. And he's a, a, a Korean man. His parents are Korean missionaries in Australia. His, his in-laws are Korean uh, uh, pastoring in Korea. And they met in Bible college in California. And now they're working in a church in Alabama. And so here he is in the deep south telling people that I'm going to California to plant a church in Irvine, California. Yeah. And he says... Uh, everybody that I tell, tell that to starts to laugh. I don't know what the problem is. Either they laugh or kind of run away. And because it's the deep south in Alabama, they always say, oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> Going to California, bless your heart, as if, it's a, as if it's a lost cause. Bless your heart. And so you'll hear the comments about California. You might have made the comments about California. You know it's the land of fruits and nuts, right? And I say in my statistics voice, actually, um, we produce the most amount of almonds in America. Thank you very much. And uh, more dairy than Wisconsin and strawberries and walnuts. And so, yes, yes, the land of fruits and nuts, literally and figuratively. I mean, it, it works both ways. And that is true. There's many things about California that are stereotypical. And people will say, oh, you're ruining our state. We just want to keep them out of here. Why don't they stay away? And why don't they just keep away from here? And boy, here's a preacher from California. He's probably liberal. <laughs> this church is going liberal. It's going south. Brother Gaddis, are you sure about this? I don't know. Who scheduled this guy? This is, this is, this is the enemy. I mean, Texas was bad enough.
California's even worse. And some, I mean, in many minds, I mean, Texas is evil, but California is evil, evil, evil. I mean, that's, that's an extra level bad right there. Uh, and and uh, here, here we are going, well, that's true. I mean, I, I can't blame you for thinking that. The, the traffic's pretty bad, and most of what you hear on the news is pretty accurate, and everything coming from Hollywood is pretty much bad, and many of the state decisions are pretty much bad, and Governor Gavin Newsom is pretty much bad, and, and, and every app on your phone that's pumping evil into your life is, well, it's headquartered in California. And yes, there's so many things that, that, that with evil spreading across this nation, well, it's not like it's starting here in the Bible Belt. It's usually starting on the coast and working its way inward. It's, it, it's not like those things are sourced here. I, I realize that, that there are, there are many issues coming from the outside in and, and, and coming from the coast toward the centers. And, and it's almost like here in Oklahoma, we want to hunker down and this is not how it should be. We have our, we have our traditional way of doing things. We have our morals we have our values, we have our way of doing things, and I just, I don't want that here. Keep it away. And it's almost like you can view anybody that's encroaching on that as the enemy. That's the enemy, and they need to stay away, and that's the enemy. And so, I, in many ways, I'm agreeing with you folks. I'm agreeing that there are many evils coming our way, but... But I can't get away from the question, what do you suppose we ought to do about that? Uh, there, there are plenty of evils in this world. There's plenty of evils, yes, specifically coming from California. And I'm on board with you that there are evil decisions that are coming out of Hollywood. There are evil decisions that are made in state courts like ours that, that then set the precedent for the rest of the country. And there's redefinitions of marriage and there's, there's redefinitions of male and female. I mean, changing the language of, of the way we address men and women. That's not coming from the Bible Belt. That's coming from the outside. I understand that. But what do you suppose we ought to do about that? And we can build up the, the prejudice against people that are from the outside. And even in Jesus' day, there was a prejudice against outsiders, against Gentiles, against anybody that was, was not a part of the Jewish culture that's not a Jew. If you're an outsider, well, you're the enemy. You're the enemy. You're the one that is trying to encroach on, on our way of life and our way of thinking. And you stay away. You're the enemy. And that can be the thinking sometimes. We're God's people, we are the Jews, and any Gentile, well, here comes this centurion, this Gentile, and he's worse than a Texan. He's an outsider. This is, this is not right. This is not the way that they're going to change our values. They're going to change our morals. They're going to come from the outside and attack what we have, and we don't like it. We're kind of scared of what's What's, what's going to come in from the outside? And, and the Jews had separated themselves so much from Samaritans and Gentiles that it was almost like they were the enemy. Brother Chad Hainlein preached at uh, the Stillwater Missions Revival last week from John chapter 4. And, and, and the Samaritans were viewed as the enemy by the Jews. And, and he made the great point. Jesus said, well, no, we must needs go through Samaria. He, he went straight to the heart of enemy territory. 
And the, and the Jews had this mentality, no, we're going to go around Samaria. We'll cross Jordan River and go up 60 miles and cross the Jordan River again just to avoid the enemy. We don't want to cross paths with them. We don't want to go toward them. They're the Gentiles. They're the enemy. And even in Matthew, I think it was Matthew chapter 15, Jesus and the closest disciples around him have this interaction with this Gentile woman. And it's almost like she's the enemy and pushing her away in some ways. And here's this Gentile coming to Jesus, this outsider coming to Jesus. And automatically you can kind of feel the prickly pokies. Here comes the enemy. He's part of the problem. He's the one that's standing against us. He's part of the oppressors here. What's he doing here? And it's like they've got their guard up when this centurion comes to him. Look at verse number six. Here's what the centurion says to Jesus, saying, Lord, my servant lieth home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And verse number seven, look at this. Jesus saith unto him, well, I hope there's an earthquake and you fall off into the Mediterranean Sea. That's my NIV version, I guess. Jesus, no, that's not what he says. He's, he's, he's hearing this request from the centurion. Can you help me? Can you help my servant? He's at home sick of the palsy. And it's almost like surrounded by Jews. Here comes this outsider. And I don't know exactly if this is how it went down, but it's almost like Jesus looks around at the Jews around him and then looks at the centurion and says this, I will come and heal him. Uh, almost in spite of their prejudices, almost in spite of their prickly, uh, pokey uh, um, demeanor, that here comes this outsider, and here's this Gentile now, and Jesus is saying, I'll go to his house? I mean, publicans and tax collectors, if they're Jewish, we can handle it. At least they're Jewish, but here's a Gentile. He's even worse than that. How could you say you'll go to a Gentile's house? You'll be defiled. Uh, Jesus is not recorded going into a Gentile's house until the time of his, uh, his sentencing when he was forced to. They're almost viewing him as the enemy. This is the enemy. When Peter was called to minister to the Gentiles, he, he, was, he was called by God and told specifically by God to eat this food. I can't eat that. It's unclean. God said, no, eat it. Don't call it unclean if I called it clean. And so he obeys God. And you know what the Jews asked Peter? In Acts 11, when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. How dare you intermingle with Gentiles? I'm just saying that's, that's the mentality of the Jews, is that we're separate from them. They're the enemy. And Jesus says, well, I'll come and heal him. I'll go straight to him, almost as if he's looking around at the Jews around them saying, well, it's, it's not really kind of the way you're thinking. And he goes to these Gentiles and I will come and heal him. And, and the centurion says, oh, no, I'm not worthy that you come under my house. Almost like he's sensitive to this Jewish rabbi that I don't I don't want to cause any waves here. And then he said, you can just speak the word. You can just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. Uh, that's, a, that's amazing. They had seen Jesus do miracles before. Everybody had seen Jesus do miracles, but they were all around him. He, he would touch a leper and he would be healed and he could uh, make food appear out of nowhere. It, it was all around him. But these long distance miracles, well, I hadn't really seen that done yet. And so, so verse, number, uh, verse number eight, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. 
This is, this is incredible. Look at verse number uh, nine. I'm a man, for I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Um, and I say to this man, go. And he says, I just give orders. And I'm a man under authority. So I, I understand that authority comes from afar. And I'm not going to make a big point of this, but it's almost like he's saying that I understand, Jesus, that your authority is not just limited to this location. Your power seems to be coming from afar. Just like my authority is coming from the emperor. People do what I say because I have the emperor's authority behind me. Well, you have, you have God's authority behind you. Jesus, you can heal my servant from afar because you have heaven's authority behind you and you can do whatever you say and it's going to be done. And he had faith in Jesus Christ that, that not even the Jews had. I mean, they were the heroes. They thought they were the heroes. And here comes this outsider. And he's the one who's the hero of the story. And Jesus, Jesus says, when Jesus heard it, verse 10, he marveled. I mean, in verse 27, they're usually marveling at Jesus. Wow, he can heal. The, he can calm the winds and the waves. Well, no, here's Jesus marveling at this man's faith. He marveled and said to them, verse 10, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Oh, Jesus, that's very offensive. We're the good guys here. Well, I haven't seen this kind of faith before. This is incredible what this man believes. Uh, he's never seen this done, but he believes I can heal the servant from afar. Well, that's incredible. I've never seen faith like this in Israel before. Well, that's very offensive, Jesus. Well, you think that's offensive? Just keep on reading. <laughs> Verse 11, I say unto you, here's Jesus' words, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What an inflammatory statement. Jesus, you're talking about, you're talking about the east and west of Jerusalem, right? Are you talking still about the Jews here? Are you saying the east and the west of Israel, they're going to come from both sides of Israel? You're still talking about the Jews as the good guys here, right, Jesus? And he says, well, no, they're, they're going to come from the east and the west of all the world, folks. Amen. And they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They're going to be on equal level with the patriarchs themselves. There, there will not be some kind of uh, a subsection of, well, you can proselytize and you can become, you know, eat at the crumbs of the table kind of thing. No, it's, it's not some secondary level that you're placed under. There's, there's going to be an equality that's not based on ethnicity, on where you were born. Jesus says this to the people that thought they were the heroes of the story. There's going to be people coming from the east and the west, and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The people from the outside are going to be on the inside in the kingdom of heaven because this kingdom of heaven is not going to be based on ethnicity. It's like Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is for people that have faith like this Gentile has. This outsider. This one that you're, you're, you're prickly against. This person that you hate, you think they are the enemy? You think the Gentiles are the enemy? And you're the special ones? Well, it's like Jesus is saying, okay, I'll heal the servant, but it's, it's not so much about the servant. It's a little bit more about what Jesus is trying to get the, the people to think. And he's saying, look, let's, let's think about this world the way I think about it. 
And the way I think about it is, is there's going to be people coming from the east and the west. And they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's going to be, it's going to be a kingdom of heaven that is based on faith, not ethnicity. It's not going to be about where you came from. It's going to be that these, these outsiders are on the inside. And then this shocking revelation, this, this turning of the tables, those that thought they were on the inside because of their ethnicity will be on the outside. It's like Jesus is focused more on, on eternity than on their state of birth. It's like Jesus is focused more on where they're going to spend all of eternity than, than, than where they come from. Man, I got to the place in, in, in 2016, kind of following the elections myself, and I was getting so worked up about this guy and that guy and, and following the elections of 2020 and, 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 and listening to big news, uh, big name news reporters and news anchors and following all the ins and outs of politics and just getting real worked up about these things. And, and, and I found myself following it so closely that, that I found myself getting mad at people I didn't even know. They've never done anything to me. They're just talking on a radio or they're just doing something that is so far away. And I found myself getting mad at them. And I, I don't think I ever got to the place, but, but I've, I've interacted with enough people and tried to pastor for a while and interact with people that that can be their meditation. The news intake, the politics can be their meditation so that they get so wrapped up around what's going on in this world that they start to view the people of this world as the enemy. Right. They're so wrapped up that it's almost like, I, don't, I didn't quite get there myself, but I've almost seen people like this. It's almost like, well, if they die, well, good riddance. Because they're the enemy. They just need to die. Look at what they're standing for. They're the evil ones. They're the bad ones. And there's just so much anger. There's, there's so much almost hatred against the people that are espousing the enemy's positions. In our state, it was Senator Dianne Feinstein. And she passed away a couple weeks ago. And, and you can find comments like, well, good riddance. And you'd, you'd almost expect that from the world. But sometimes there's a mentality, even among conservative Christians, I'm saying conservative in our politics, that when there's a politician that's opposed to us, then we think, OK, if they're dead, well, that's good. It's almost like if the person is gone, well, the enemy is gone because, well, they're liberal. And look how look how look how evil that is. They're against me. They must be the enemy. But wait a minute. How does Jesus think about them? And he's, he's thinking about them as, as lost, not as liberal. Jesus sees the soul of a person, not just their politics. Dianne Feinstein is not the enemy. She's being used by the enemy. There's no question about that, but she's not the enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yes, the enemy is using people in high places. Our real enemy uses all kinds of people. But don't think he can't use you. And getting so wrapped up about the wrong things. 
We can, turn, we, can, we can turn our eyes off of the real enemy and onto somebody that is not really our enemy. And we can get so angry about politics and we can spend all of our time, all of our meditation, all of our energy, all of our mind on CNN and Fox News and Daily Wire and OAN and all these. We can become obsessive about the news. Obsessive. Truly obsessive about the news. Every moment of every day filled with meditation not on the scriptures, but on current events. The only passion I've seen from some people is about Trump or Biden or all. Yeah, I can't believe they did this and can't believe it. Look at these debates and, and, and just anger about all the wrong things. About nothing eternal, about only things that are temporal. And framing it, well, it's righteous indignation. A lot of times it's not. How does Jesus think about liberals who did no sin? Peter said, who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. That's what Peter said about Jesus. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's the way Jesus responded to the critics. That's the way Jesus responded to the people that, yes, he could have considered them his enemy, and yet he reviled not again. The way Jesus responded to, to politics, and, and it was a political killing, you could say, of his own. He didn't respond to them in, in hate, but pity and love and concern. Do, do you think of this world, do you think of this world in terms of enemy or or do you think of this world like Jesus thinks? Because I wonder where, for instance, I wonder where Dianne Feinstein is right now. I wonder where she is. I'm talking about right now. Well, we're sitting in church. She passed away a month ago or so. Where is she right now? Well, we know from the scriptures that if somebody rejects Jesus Christ, they'll end up in hell and ultimately in the lake of fire. And by all actions, it seems that she had not placed her faith in Jesus Christ. According to the scriptures, she's in hell facing punishment for her sin today. And that's the, that's what Jesus was concerned about. Verse number 12, look at this. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, I don't wish that on anybody. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Nobody is my enemy strong enough for me to wish that on them. They'll be cast into outer darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're talking about the torment. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And yet we have to view every single person that we might view as the enemy. Governor Gavin Newsom, our, our California governor. Yes, he's being used by the enemy. But unless, he, uh, unless we can see him and pray for him as a soul, not just a liberal politician, what kind of change will happen in this world? He's going to face God on Judgment Day for, for what he has done, for his actions. He's going to face God on Judgment Day. Not with the title of governor, but as, as Gavin, a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And we have to pray for Gavin, the man, the soul who will face Jesus Christ on Judgment Day. And, and we've got to think of this world not as liberal, but as lost. 
We've got to see them for what they are as a willful participant with sin facing God on Judgment Day. And, and it's not just the liberals that are out there, but it's your neighbors and it's that sweet old grandma down the street. It's every single one of us are going to face God on Judgment Day for whether we have trusted in Jesus Christ and placed our faith in him for our salvation. And if Governor Gavin Newsom has not, well, then he'll have to face judgment for his own sin in hell. Boy, look at those bad, evil people over there in Sacramento, California. Those bad, evil people out there. Those terrible people, the wicked heathens of the nations, the evil people that are spreading all the evil. They're the enemy. Well, wait a minute. How did Jesus see the world? He said, there's going to be people from the east and the west. And they're going to sit down at, the ta at this table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and anybody that rejects that, there's, 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 there's the East and the West. And I look at California, and it's not the only place on earth. And we just had our missions revival at our church. And I, I, I love the whole world, and we need to have a worldwide missions emphasis. But it's amazing that when Jesus is talking about the East and the West, we look at our mission field of California as a diverse place from everywhere in the world, from all over the East and the West, right there in one state. And instead of just wishing it would go away or wishing it would be just just dismiss and just just dismissive of it as well. It's just leftist. It's just blue. It's just this terrible place. Maybe we ought to see it as a mission field. And, and, and not, not just for its politics. You say, I can never do that. I can never think of it like that as a mission field. I hate it. They're the enemy. And I'm, I'm, more, of a, I'm more of a farmer. I could never do that. And Brother Davison always talks about wheat farming. Well, we, we got wheat farming too, Brother Davison. Not quite as much as Kansas, but there's, there's a lot of farming. If you're into farming, come on out to California and minister to the farmers out there. I can never be there because of the politics. Boy, those, those politics are terrible and there's, there's just evil, godless things going on. I, I, I could never take my family there. How do you suppose godless things change? Not by removing light, but by adding light. Somebody said California is like our Nineveh. It's, it's as bad as it gets right there. But God calls people to go into Nineveh and to evangelize and to bring light to our dark world. And it's as dark as it gets. But we don't just say, I don't like the politics. Let's think like Jesus Christ. And I don't like the politics of the Chinese Communist Party very much. But I'm thankful for any missionaries that are going in there and trying to spread the light in, in China in these places that are closed. I mean, California is almost there on, on par with China, you know. You know, California, somebody said, yeah, I get that. We're almost there. But, but, but we ought to think of it as a mission field of saying, God, send the light into countries that are, that are, that are just evil like this, that are so dark. Uh, and I'm all for, I'm all for our, our rights and I, I want freedom in America. I'm all for that. But that ought not be the thing that, that makes us passionate, that fires us up at the expense of the gospel. Yes. People get so fired up about sports and so fired up about politics and so fired up about the Second Amendment rights and, and all of that, sometimes more than the gospel. And, and across all this world, there are millions of people who Jesus said, they're, they're going to be cast in outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
There's a world out there of millions of people that, that instead of just hunkering down and hoping the bad people go away, wait, who's reaching them? Who's going into the world, into the leftist areas of our country, into the evil places of the country? Well, there's mega churches out there. Well, I've been to some of the mega churches. And we've had members from our church who said, I've been to mega churches for years and never heard the gospel, never heard about sin, hardly heard about Jesus Christ, only heard about improving my life. And I've been to there. And it seems like on paper their gospel is clear. But from the fruit I'm seeing, at least what I'm seeing, there are very few true gospel preaching churches in dark places like that. I mean, San Diego, over a million people, 1.3 million people, I think. I'm, I'm lit There's literally only a handful of churches that are preaching the true gospel. Literally only a handful of churches. And there's Lemon Grove and Mira Mesa and Chula Vista and good churches all around that. But, but, but right there in the city of San Diego, how few churches there are preaching the gospel. In Los Angeles, over three times bigger than that, three point, I think 3.8 million people in Los Angeles. Uh, just, just a handful of people. You can name big cities all across America that are sometimes these blue pockets in the middle of red states sometimes. And, and they're just surrounded by evil and so very few gospel preaching churches going into the heart of the darkest places of our country and trying to shine the light of Jesus Christ. San Jose, Brother, uh, Brother Burke Holder is here from San Jose, over a million people and, and just a handful of churches in a million people. We, we got representatives from Moreno Valley and Temecula and San Marcos and San Leandro and Calamesa. And, and, and there's, there's cities of hundreds of thousands of people. It's a dark place. It's definitely a dark place, but, but we have the light. Oklahoma City is a dark place, but you're the light to our city, to this city right here. We're all missionaries and we're trying to shine the godly light. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for, for the church that I get to pastor. I'm talking about just last Sunday, I teach our college class and here's a college girl that has a prayer request. I had a three hour conversation with a coworker about the gospel. He's Mormon and I'm praying for him, Cameron. And I had another coworker that's, that I'm, I'm trying to witness to. And there's a few of us Christians at Chase Bank that are trying to witness to him. And, and how else are we going to change California unless there's a college girl in a college class in a church that's going out to work every single day and trying to reach people for the with the gospel? That, that's taking the light to our world, not hunkering down and hoping it goes away. It's not going to go away. Yeah. We need to have the heart of Jesus Christ. They're going to come from the east and the west. And they're going to sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There, there will be those that think they are at that table who will be cast into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't want that for anybody. There's millions of souls that are going to be cast into outer darkness. Talk about blue states and gun rights and politics and all Californians oh, are the enemy and the leftists are the enemy and the liberals are the enemy. We have our values. We have our morals. We have our traditions. We have our way of life. And you stay out of that. Well, how does Jesus see the world? He sees the East and the West. He sees the whole world that is in need of the gospel, not just liberal ideologies, but as as lost. I'm just going to close with two simple thoughts and prayers that I've had for the, the past several weeks about this conference this week. I, I've been praying first for, for laborers, 
I'm not saying there are no laborers. I'm not berating anybody. But man, I'm praying, for, I'm praying for laborers that God will call to the mission field of California. Not just hope it falls away and ignore it, but, but that God will call some laborers to the mission field of California. And I'm praying that God maybe will plant churches, maybe uh, will call some men to plant some churches out there and maybe replant some churches. I'm passionate about like my dad retired on our 34th anniversary and I've been pastoring uh, uh, the, the church I grew up in for the past two years. I'm passionate about these churches staying strong and staying going. Here's a core of people and we, we want to keep the churches that are there. Amen. Uh, there's a pastor that in Northern California knows of 14 churches up there that need a pastor. Amen. There's another pastor up there knows of 20 churches in that area that need a pastor. We've got to see these churches continue for Jesus Christ. And I'm passionate about that. Praying for laborers in our great state. And I realize our state is not the only one. But I think Brother Donnie said it well. As California goes, so goes the nation. The influence that it has, I'm, I'm just extra passionate about that. So I'm praying for laborers. I want to share our burden with you. But second, if you can't, if you can't go as a laborer, you, you say, man, I'm praying about it. I, I just don't sense the Holy Spirit's calling me to be a laborer in California. My second prayer request is probably more broad. And this, I suppose, hits everybody in here. Is that we see not only California, but the world like Jesus sees the world. Not just as, as liberal, but as lost. Truly, that, that something in our mind changes about when we watch the news, we don't get fired up about the same things anymore. That, that we see the people that they are talking about on the news. And we see not just the issues that go against our family values, but that we see the people. We see the people that the enemy is using. We see the people that Jesus says they'll be cast into outer darkness. And they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That we see the people of this world. Are they, are they liberal? Oh man, they're, they're the enemy. Oh no, they're not the enemy. They're lost. They're in need of the light. And, and we've got to take that, that gospel light. Let's have the, the heart of Jesus Christ. Many will come from the east and west. Let's think like Jesus Christ. Would you stand together? As we go into our invitation time, a time to just reflect on, on the thoughts of Jesus. Am I thinking like Jesus about this world? What fires me up? What gets me excited or angry or passionate? What is it that I'm against? Or what is it that I'm for? I'm, not, I, I'm truly not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying, let Let's think like Jesus. The musicians are going to begin playing. I'm going to pray and the invitation will be open. Many have already come just seeking the Lord for God. I want to think about this world the way you do. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for, for Jesus who saw this Gentile, this one who was an outsider, not he, he didn't see him the same way the rest of his disciples saw him. He saw him for the truth of what was actually there, for the soul and the faith that he had placed. He saw beneath the surface and he looked past the ethnicity or he looked past the circumstances of his life. And, and he was trying, 
I think, to kind of teach his disciples a lesson here about what really matters and pointing their hearts toward eternity. And so I, I just, I pray, God, we can think like that about and, and filter our news intake, filter our media intake, even our entertainment intake through the way you see this world. And thank you, dear God, for the scriptures. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your precious son's gift of salvation and his life on the cross. I, I, I thank you for that, God. Help us buy it tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.